Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Help on the Way podcast, where we are featuring April 15th, 1970, the Winterland Arena in San Francisco, California. I am your co-host, The Game, here with my fellow co-hosts, Knob and Fig, as well as here with special guest, Zach Nugent, formerly of Marvin Steele's Jerry Garcia Band and currently of Dead Set. Uh, Fig and Knob, let's go ahead and welcome our special guest, Zach, to the show. Welcome, Zach. Welcome, Zach. Thanks so much, y'all. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And just an editorial note, uh, it is Melvin Seals. Uh, not speaking yeah, of you, I didn't, his I brother didn't have Marvin. the confidence to correct game on that. But, uh... <laughs> well, this is uh, my project, so I'm going to uh, take the editorial uh, touch. That is indeed Melvin Seals as JGB. Uh, he might have a brother named Marvin. I'm not sure, but uh, certainly it was Melvin Seals. No Marvin brother. He Melvin does have a brother named Elgin. Oh, that's cool. To make it more, he thought if you thought Marvin would be confusing, try Elgin. <laughs> that's Marvin actually what I meant I, to say was 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 Elgin. I just got my Elgin and my Marvin right. confused. Oh so. yeah, as you do, as one does. <laughs> all the time. We are as we're well known as being the number one Elgin Seals fan podcast. Fly <laughs> <So> I'm here. <laughs> all right. Well, Zach, first off, and once again, thank you for joining us on this week's episode. And before we go into our normal Channel 6 News segment, as well as our show review, we're first going to spend our first segment interviewing you, good sir. Right uh, and we will take, um, I think this is our first official, is this our first official interview, boys? Is this our, our second? Uh, well, we, had, we had PCE on. PCE yeah, we had... was on. And my dad was on last week. Yeah, yeah which was, that was live to tape, though. I will say that that was phenomenal. Like, I, I listened to that. I was not on. Well, I guess you guys weren't on either because you had taped it earlier. But I listened to it and game. Great job slice, splicing everything together. And Nob, great job with the interview. I mean, and, and Nob's dad, awesome stuff. I mean, that was really cool. Like, that was really cool to hear. And in my own, in my own head, the only thing I could think about was they did all of this without a cell phone. How do they do everything without a cell phone? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that's done. our first question for Zach was, how did my dad get home from Nassau Coliseum without a cell phone? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> a, a payphone. A payphone. Yeah. Actually, the first question is the question we ask everybody. I think I asked Nob this question way back in the day. I'll just uh, go ahead and, and start it off. Zach, how did you first get on the bus? By the bus, I mean get into the Grateful Dead. Yeah, sure. Um, it's, you know, I've been, uh, I've been in the Grateful Dead world or the Grateful Dead has been in my world for as long as I can remember. Uh, my parents are big music people and um, exposed me to all sorts of stuff, Grateful Dead included, but lots of old reggae and classical. And my, my mother grew up in a Russian neighborhood in um, Connecticut. And so, you know, we would always listen to like Russian church music because it was like this cultural thing for her. So I heard all sorts of stuff. It's not like my parents were um, diehard tie-dye deadheads, you know, uh, I just, I just heard all sorts of stuff, but for whatever reason, um, the dead stuck with me from day one. And I, I have got like um, doodles from school and, uh, and I actually have a, uh, a fifth grade graduation card that's Grateful Dead themed. So as far back as I can remember, it's been my thing. And as people, you know, have 
known me for that and and knowing how much it meant to me um and so i played a few uh a few instruments when i was younger but um picked up guitar when i was 12 and at that point it was it was all over i mean there was always grateful dead in my life and i i always enjoyed it and and knew it and thought about it um up until that point but when i was 12 and picked up a guitar that's when it became everything i do really nice Speaking of that, do you remember, if if you do, uh, what the first Grateful Dead song you learned to play on the guitar was? Yep, I uh, came, I got a guitar, I rented a guitar um, from the store and, and went home and started to learn, and uh, there was no internet or anything at that point. Uh, I mean, there was internet, but there was no like YouTube or um, troves and troves of tabs and, and lessons online, so... Um, I went for the simpler stuff and my dad had played a little bit of guitar and, you know, in the seventies, he bought himself one and learned the basic chords. And, um, so he told me that ripple would be an easy one to learn. There's only wow. a couple chords really. And, uh, that was the first thing I learned on guitar at all. Or the first song I learned at all was, was ripple that day. That's not to, not to make this about me, but when I first started playing guitar, I got to, my dad let me use his guitar as well. And the, the deal that we made was that. I could learn whatever I wanted on guitar, but the one of the first songs I had to learn was Ripple because that's his oh. favorite. I love so, that. That's so cool. Yeah, that's great. That is really cool. And, and there's something you get playing dead music that it, it's almost like you kind of unlock, like you, you get a different sense of what they were doing um, with that songwriting. Uh, the first mm -hmm. one I remember was uh, Jack Straw, and just like oh, just yeah. the opening chords, like like every, you know, I've heard the song a million times, but until I actually played it. I don't think I really understood it. Um, incredible okay. songwriting. Incredible. That's still happening for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think I've probably played every Grateful Dead song or maybe, you know, over 99% of Grateful Dead songs live on stage. And nice. even, even still some of the ones we play all the time, I'm still like learning about them and, and figuring things out and uh, still opening doors. Like as far as the, the Dead's writing process and how all these tunes came together, they're really even simple tunes like ripple are just so intricately written and, and so well written. It's, it's amazingly interesting and it's kind of never ending. Very cool. All right. So I'm probably known as the resident, at least of the podcast of the resident primal dead hater. Of the uh, uh and of, hate's, a, hate's a strong word for for what yeah but i think it's having spoken to game about this i think <laughs> it's fair i would say uh, uh drums and space hater i would give you that i don't i don't think you're a primal dead hater uh, spoiler alert i do have some positive drums and space things to talk about uh, on this ooh. upcoming episode but um i personally have a soft spot for 85 to 89 grateful dead mm -hmm. zach do you have a favorite era of the grateful dead to a listen to um and i think we all do so i would assume that you would as well but then b would that era also be used to help you creatively in the music that you that you currently play or would that be a different era if that makes any mm -hmm. sense at all no. Good that makes sense yeah for sure um i think i go back and forth uh, as i'm sure most people do but mm. i do think that my desert island pick would have to be the same 85 to 89 um and cool. maybe a little bit you know spring 92 is so sure. amazingly polished and like just yeah. balls out rock and roll it's so good um 
and yeah see i'm already just thinking about it right now i'm already like straying away from from what i said because it changes so frequently but yeah i think that what i go back to most often is is definitely like 87 to 89 specifically um and how about playing like if you're asked to play they love each other um you know do you gravitate you know just for example like the earlier you know kind of boppier version or like the later slower or, or is it just depending on the night or the mood or the band or how's that work yeah, I would say it. Uh, part A of the answer is that it depends on the night, but part B would be that more often than not, I would gra- gravitate sort of to to the late eighties. I think, um, I think what I hear most in my heart is probably eighty eight, eighty nine, and so that's that's likely what I play the most. But it does vary by night. Like sometimes we'll be in the mood, or I'll be in the mood to play something a little boppier, or a little smoother. You know, I feel like. Um, 77 was so such a cool mix of uh of prime they still had like primal roots but uh they were figuring out their um their like rock and roll edge and they're like that just big thumpy 80s sound and so even though it's a little more jagged in some ways um the 70s stuff it overall just has a a smoother and creamier feel to me and the uh the late 80s is more is more tech textured a little more choppy and abrasive um which i like a lot because it just stands out a little bit i don't know if these are just um like terms that make sense in my head as i play guitar or if those make sense uh for for other civilians as well i think it um, oddly makes a lot of sense i mean you talk about smooth and creamy it's almost lunchtime i'm getting a little hungry but mm -hmm. um when you're talking about a 70 said that 77 they love each other i'm thinking of cornell that's a great way to uh you know discuss and characterize a 77 they love each other, smooth and creamy. That might be a show title. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I feel like they got um even though it's hard. I hear I'm trying to think how to put this. I, I hear more like percussive um playing in the late eighties, but but as I say that, thinking about like seventy seven stuff, I certainly would not not call it percussive, you know? There's just something more a little more raucous and sharp and uh and pronounced to me about the later stuff, which I, which really stands out and I love. Totally. Yeah. Cool. I'll, uh, I'll take the next question. Zach, what's it like playing dead music to people all around the country? Um, you know, directing the question to you, but for my personal, um, you know, from where I sit, you know, I play in like a cover band and we play every now and then. And mm. one time we were playing, um, in this little bar in Philly and, no one was listening to us, but we were playing. We were playing pretty well. It was late at night, like 12, 30, 1 o'clock. And we go into Franklin's Tower, and all the hippies show up. <laughs> and it's a party. Uh, um, and it was, like, it was like, where were you guys before? Like, we just had to play uh, yeah. Grateful Dead. That was the secret. So, yep. you know, is that true to your experience? Like, what's it like playing to the dead and, you know, being a part of that community all around the country? Yeah, it's amazing because, uh, you know, I've been touring full time for over 10 years now, I nice. guess. And um, I just recently uh, put out my my own original music. I put an album not quite yep. a year ago. And uh, so most of my career has been playing music written by other people and music that's a lot older than me or um, a lot of my bandmates. And so it's amazing to uh go to these different pockets of the country and now people sort of know um who i am here and there from my time with jgb and from how long i've been doing it but even before people knew my name and were, and were buying tickets because they knew me 
they were buying tickets because they love this music and uh you show up in a city that you've never been within 500 miles of and start playing this and um everybody who's at the show knows every word to every song right because it's grateful dead music and so i've always had that which i think is probably something um that original artists uh set as like a a final goal right to like play to 500 people and have them sing every word mm-hmm. um which you know so I, I i've been lucky to have that experience it doesn't have the same fulfillment of course as as people singing songs that i wrote but there's still this amazing uh feeling that comes from people being so um receptive to this music and uh so i think i'm so lucky that um i get to play this and and carry the torch or or however you want to think of it because uh there's just this built-in family that wherever i go new or old and whether i've seen these people before or they've seen me uh there's this amazing strong community that we have this music to thank and so playing this music anywhere really is is always a blessing and always fun and it always has at least some guarantee that there's going to be this uh foundation waiting there for you yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to give, uh, you mentioned your album came out last year. Do you want to give it a quick plug? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I'd been writing stuff for a while and, uh, I finally went into the studio, uh, in January of 2022 and, um, I recorded an album called good so far. Um, which is the last track on the album too. Uh, and, you know, I've been really lucky in my travels to make great friends in the music industry. Um, and so I invited a lot of them to play on the album with me. So it's some local Burlington musicians who, who are my homies and we play together all the time. And uh, it was important for me to have them on there, but I was also lucky to have like Peter Rowan from old yeah. in the way and, um, and John Popper from blues traveler, um, Cindy cash dollar, who was, Bob Dylan slide guitarist and uh, the girls, the female vocalist from Jerry Garcia band and JGB. Um, I sort of, you know, I, it was a tough call because I had all these musical friends who I wanted to have on the album. uh, And so I was like, you know, lining up the people and and the ideas and where to put them on the album. And at some point I, uh, I said to myself that, you know, I I realized I didn't want to just overdo it with these guests and have like, um, just uh, like this star studded out i wanted like the laurels to rest on the quality of the album too not just who i have on it um and so a friend of mine tony markellis the bass player for Transtasio band and a, a lot of other acts that um i'm still finding out about and it's they're hard to believe uh he he passed away um as I was writing this album and he was one of my closest friends and he was, you know, for years he and I were supposed to be on an album together. And so, uh, during that process, I realized, um, that I shouldn't be shy about having my, my friends and, um, musical peers on my album with me, uh, cause life is short and I may not get to do it again. And we didn't get to do it with Tony. So, um, yeah, it, it is sort of star studded, but I'm really proud of it. And, uh, I recorded it here in Burlington and it streams everywhere. Um, and I would love for people to check it out. Cause I think it's got, a. someone told me that it was like John Prine meets grateful dead meets government mule, which I'm totally <laughs> fine with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we really, I, I, I'll speak for all three of us here, but we gave the album a listen in, uh, in preparation for this episode, and we all really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. 
I wanted to ask you a question uh, about the album and, and your original music. What lessons from playing dead music have you incorporated into your own music making, in your own songwriting? Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I love about The Grateful Dead is how uh, relatable all of their, most of their lyrics are. Of course, there's some psychedelic lyrics, but I think even in the craziest psychedelic lyrics, we can find things that might mean something to us, even in our own little bubble, which is fine. Um, but their, their songs are just so comforting. And to me, the Grateful Dead's catalog is all stories about life. You know, um, I think of like all sorts of stuff. Morning Dew is one of my favorite tunes to play. And that's so relatable to like relationships and how you go through life or like even things that, um, maybe don't mean as much or don't have to be taken so much to the heart. Like Tennessee Jed is just a great story, a silly story, you know, but they're all relatable. And, um, and the Grateful Dead music to me, and I think a lot of others, provides this huge sense of like uh, coziness, maybe for lack of a better yeah. word. It's just it's familiar and it's comforting and it, it sort of checks in on reality and lets you know that like you're OK and, you know, we're here, we're all here together and and you're in the right place and things are going the way they're supposed to be. And, the you know, we know about these problems, too. And just it, it, there's a lot in the Grateful Dead uh, catalog that that just resonates, I think, with every individual who's part of the scene, whether um, we realize it all the time or not. And so that was always really important to me in my own songwriting that, um, you know, I, I wanted my music sonically and also lyrically to sort of cradle the listener and, uh, you know, almost like a, a big sonic hug, which I think the Grateful Dead and Jerry were so good at. Um, I, I have something to yeah. say relating to that. Uh uh, as far as Jerry's playing, if I remember, but, um, yeah, so I wanted, I wanted everyone to feel really comfortable listening to it and the dead. And I, uh, you know, from playing this music are, have become big on taking musical risks, which is important for, for growth and excitement and, um, to keep things fresh. And I think it's why the grateful dead is so longstanding and enduring. And the, the reason we can listen to this 300 song catalog over and over and over and over every day and not even start to be tired of it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a big feeling of, uh, of coming home and, and, um, and being safe, I think when listening to the Grateful Dead's music. And so I tried to wrap that in to, to my own. Awesome. Um, yeah. I have one more question for you, at least that we have prepared. <laughs> no one else will still talk long after this, but, uh, you've gotten to play Wolf, Jerry Garcia's guitar, um, I was wondering, because you play guitars that are not Wolf as well on a, on yeah. a more regular basis, what is the difference for you between playing Wolf and playing a, a non-Wolf guitar? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> there's a few layers to it for me. Uh, I, I'm super lucky to get to play Wolf very often, um, and I do a lot of the work on Wolf, any repairs or adjustments or anything like that I get to do. And so... I spend a lot of time with that guitar and I know that guitar pretty well. Now I've been um, dealing with Wolf for, I guess, six years now. Um, and I've been lucky to play uh, 14 of Jerry's guitars. Wow. Um, wow. And so uh, I, I'm not just trying to flex that, that <laughs> ties in. <laughs> I know, I guess it is a flex either way, but it ties into something for me that, I thought about Wolf for a long time because Wolf was one of the first Jerry guitars I ever played. Um, and it's just confirmed as I've played more of them that 
you know, there's obviously a certain amount of mojo in there. That guitar played the pyramids and closing of Winterland and Red Rocks and was on Wake of the Flood and Shakedown, yeah. all this, all these crazy things that are just like jam packing it with mojo. But Jerry had so many guitars passed through his hands too, both custom and production. You know, people were building him guitars all the time and, and making their way backstage or, or to a friend who had backstage access at Grateful Dead shows. And these guitars were making their ways into way into Jerry's hands um, every night. And so <clears throat> what I realized is that these guitars of Jerry's are definitely packed with mojo and have the Jerry thing going on. But Jerry also just knew how mm. to pick a superb instrument um, mm. because... Uh, you know, Jerry's got, um, or now Trixie has, uh, Jerry's 1942 Gibson super 400, which is a big, beautiful blonde jazz box sort of guitar. He's playing it, uh, in like the smoke gets in your eyes videos. Um, and later in life, it might've, I think it was the last guitar Jerry played and there were a lot of pictures of him playing it in 94 and 95. And generally I don't like those guitars a whole lot. I can see the beauty in them, but um, they don't move me so much when I play them. And um, I've met a couple that are pretty cool, but Jerry's is just outstanding. It's it's like one of the most unbelievable guitars out there. And again, sure, like there's the there's the wow factor and the spiritual factor of it being Jerry's and you know him leaving some of himself in that guitar. But also I think um, again, like I said, so the volume of guitars that he had access to was so crazy. Um, and the ones that he chose to hang on to yeah. were, uh, were special, special, special guitars. And so Wolf, um, is sort of at the top of the heap of those. It's just an incredibly well-built instrument. Um, it's got all of that history. When you play it, you can't help but think of it on Saturday Night Live or in all these closing of Winterland video, anywhere, you know, he ever played it. And, um, so the whole spiritual side of it is massive and, uh, and then even with that taken away, just bare bones, it's an amazing guitar as well. So playing Wolf is uh, is all around a great experience, and it's super inspiring. I was lucky to play it um, on most of the tracks on my album, actually. That's awesome. And oh, yeah. I'll say that if you go on your website, uh, .com, uh there's a picture of you right on the splash page uh, playing Wolf, yeah. rocking out with yep. Wolf. Very right. cool. It's a really cool shot. Yeah, thanks, man. Now, this question is not on our pre predetermined list of questions, but one that just popped up in my mind. Um, Wolf is a, obviously an incredibly well-known Grateful Dead Jerry Garcia guitar, and one of many of the Jerry Garcia Jerry Garcia guitars you have played. Mm. Do you do you have a personal favorite? Um. It's gotta either be hmm. Wolf might be my favorite. Um, you know, I used to. I grew up watching like the closing of Winterland DVD with mm -hmm. uh, yeah. with my dad all the time. We'd watch it over and over and over. And in fact, about a year after I started playing guitar, he said to me one night when we were watching that, and you know, it was clear that I was totally taken by the whole music thing in general. He asked me, he said, what's, you know, what's a goal of yours? What do you want to do if you do something with playing music? And we were watching the Winterland DVD. And I said to my dad, I want to play that guitar one day. Um, nice. And so, so cool. yeah, it's, it's, you know, about maybe 15 years later, 
I guess somewhere around there, I did get to play it. <clears throat> and um, so it'd be hard for me to pick another guitar, I think just because of everything that goes into Wolf uh, in my life and, and compounded by what a great guitar it truly is. Um, but the two others that uh, come close and mean, mean almost as much to me are Jerry's Alligator, um, sure. which he played um, 70... Uh, I want to say he got it in late 71 and played it. Um, I know he played it in 72 and until his birthday in 73, but I think he got it in late 71. Anyway, it's on Europe 72. It's on a lot of this stuff. It's on Watkins Glen. Um, and uh, so amazing, amazing, amazing history with that guitar too. It's pretty iconic. And it's a one, another great example. It's just a Fender Strat and sure it was modified pretty heavily and, and made into the Jerry thing. But um you know, it's the coolest Fender Strat I've ever played as far as Fender Strats go. And uh, I think Jerry also knew that and made it his main guitar. Um, he was he was cycling through Strats at that time. And in fact, the show that we're going to talk about today, 41570, um, that April run was one of my favorites because of the guitars Jerry and Bob were using. And he was using a Strat then, which sounded cool. But uh, there's something about Alligator. and um, And it's apparent when you play it still. Uh, and the last one that, that's really special to me is the, um, the Martin D 28 of Jerry's it's a 1943. Uh, so it's, it, it's, a, I think it's a December of 43. And so it's one of the last pre-war Martins, which are the most desirable of the Martin guitars. Um, yeah. and literally it's in like the last couple days of being a pre-war Martin, which is really cool. Uh, but, um, a, a friend of mine wound up with that guitar and I played it um at the auction house the day before it was auctioned and um i realized that you know it was it was touted as the guitar that jerry played on festival express and i realized through pictures and and some more research that he actually recorded american beauty and working man's dead with it um and so you know that those are two of my very top favorite grateful dead albums so that's a big special uh, part of it to me too. And later on uh, in talking to Peter Rowan, Peter ended up playing that guitar at a Terrapin Crossroads show. And he said to my buddy who owns it, Andy Logan with the Grateful Guitars Foundation, he said, oh yeah, I love this guitar. This is the guitar that I had on the road with Olden in the Way. And uh, so the layers of this guitar just keep unfolding. Um, but, you know, almost almost every year we learn something new about this D28, which makes it even more special. But again, on its own merit, it's an incredible guitar. So I think Wolf, Alligator, and the D28 would have to be three almost tied guitars from my favorites. Hell yeah, man. I, I think it's, um, I am not a, a guitar gearhead at all, but on the pure level of just watching a DVD and then however many years later playing that same guitar that was like Crazy. monumental it's special <laughs> like yeah. you know it was so huge into you know like making you who you are today it's just fucking mind-blowing i think that shit is just cool unbelievable man i remember i was sitting <laughs> oh, at the uh sitting at the philadelphia airport on a layover on a way home the way home from a jgb run in 2017 and i got an email from a, a, a david Meerman scott who's a good friend of mine now but i had no idea who he was at the time and I just got an email from David Meerman Scott and the subject was Wolf wants to play. And, uh, and that was it. I was like, Oh my God, is this what I think it is? And sure enough, I opened it at the, at my gate there in Philly and, and I wrote back and that was it. I was playing about, about a month later, we met up and I played it at a show, a JGB show, but uh, I'll never forget getting that email. So cool. Yeah. Wild. 
All right, we're going to move on to our Channel 6 news segment. And uh, truthfully, I feel like this guy probably has definitely wrote a few uh, Grateful Dead-related emails back in his day. Uh, Freshman Democrat Representative Wiley Nickel, um, this past Monday, the 17th, um, did, I would say, an impassioned speech um, on the House floor. speaking about the grateful dead and uh the final shows of dead and company's final tour uh and fig i do believe you wanted to um did you want to recite the speech in, in yeah a, i'll try to a, a uh, dramatic uh, reading oh yeah, yeah. I, it's not going to be quite so dramatic i i thought there were some good words and it was you know certainly an interest, interesting juxtaposition to hear the grateful dead being talked about um on the house floor uh, marjorie taylor green i think was presiding over the house at that point so at the end he thinks uh madam speaker uh there's some weird energies going on right now but um yeah. you know we have yeah we have a uh, freshman democrat representative wiley nickel um in honor of dead and companies say, that's a cartoon character ass name well <laughs> i you know I he should Googled. be chasing Sylvester. What, who, his, <laughs> his actual name is George Wilmarth. I'll say it again. Wilmarth. And okay. people call him either, probably Willie. Yeah, Willie Nickel III. So there's, there's a tradition of George Wilmarth's in uh, North Carolina. But this is North Carolina, ladies and gentlemen. This is, that's, that's how things work. Um, you get some interesting names that are passed down. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and read it because I thought that there, there was some interesting stuff. Truth be told, I was looking on YouTube yesterday just to see because, um, truth be told, I missed the final shows. I don't think that's surprising to my co-hosts or anybody How else. How dare you not stay up until two in the morning for three yeah, straight that's nights? Just not going to happen. Um, but I wanted to catch something because I was YouTubing yesterday. I did, And I did find the... Uh, what the encore, and then I was very impressed with the drone show um, when when the skeleton uh, took off his hat. That was really cool. Um, but I did want to uh, let's see how long it takes. I mean, if it's too long, I'll probably stop. I was going to read this and do my best knob impression, but I'm not going to do that for knob's wow. sake and for the listener's sake as well. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and do my best uh, Willie Nickel impression. Here we go. I rise today to celebrate and pay tribute to the Grateful Dead. Last night, the Dead and Company closed out their final act in San Francisco. While this marks the end of an era, it also gives us the opportunity to reflect on the immense impact they've had on generations of fans. Very true. Jerry Garcia said it best when he said, maybe we're just one of the last adventures in America. For those of us who are fans who follow the Dead, they truly were an American adventure. For over five decades, their unique blend of rock, folk, and improvisation transcended boundaries, inspiring countless artists, we have one here today, we have multiple here today, and enchanting millions of dedicated fans. In a world often divided, The Grateful Dead reminds us that music has the power to bridge divides and bring people together. Their music served as a beacon of hope and escape and a testament to the power of artistic impression, expression. Through their music, the Grateful Dead taught us the value of community, compassion, and the beauty of living in the moment. As we celebrate the Grateful Dead, we also pay tribute to the late Jerry Garcia and all the band members that graced the stage with their exceptional talents. That is really well done. I don't think I could put that, that string of, of words together, but that's why he's a politician and I'm not. Let's also acknowledge the unwavering dedication of the Deadheads, the devoted fans who traveled far and wide to be part of the Grateful Dead experience. Their unwavering support and enthusiasm nurtured a unique bond between the, ma- the band and its audience, making each concert totally unique. There was never a concert that was the same as the last. 
and I'm wrapping up here. As we celebrate Dead & Company's last concert last night, let's remember that their music and spirit continue to live on in the hearts of all those that they touched. Their journey may have reached its final destination, but their melodies resonate across time, reminding us of the enduring power of music to inspire, uplift, and to bring us together. I like people who like the Grateful Dead. Oh, excuse, let me start over. I like people who like the Grateful Dead. And whether in the halls of Congress or back home in North Carolina, I'll always be thankful for the memories they gave us, the music they shared, and the profound impact they had on the lives of everyone in this country. Be sure to check out the Help on, on the Way podcast. Uh, you can find it on Apple Music. And, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> that was mostly... Um, uh, Representative Wiley Nichols' uh, words and uh, recited on on the floor of the House just a couple days ago. I thought it was worthy of uh, discussion and mention. Yeah, yeah very I, cool. I admire his restraint to not using the words "long strange trip" at any point. <laughs> you definitely know he had that in there at some point, and he definitely crossed it out. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely was like. Like, yeah, we're we're gonna zap them with this one. And they're like, ah, oh, you know what, maybe maybe we're just tipping our toe over the line a little too much for some of these. I imagine they had it in there like four times and then we're like, Oh, we should probably cut a couple of these and then in the process they cut all of them. Well, I've never heard the actual the only quote that I've seen in, in this is the Jerry Garcia quote, where maybe we're just one of the last adventures in America. And that's a great quote. It's profound. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I like the way that the representative talked about the Americanness of this band, because when I think about the Grateful Dead, I do think about Americana, America, like the freedom, like kind of libertarian aspects of their music, about the country, you know, about the about the West, the Wild West, and those are some important aspects of the band, and you know how they kind of hook into um, the story of America. Yep. So that was that was cool, and and the really cool part was you know this was on C-SPAN. You can you can find on YouTube. There's clips, but you know there's a Grateful Dead Steely uh, on C-SPAN because this was you know he I guess he had a little prop, a uh, little easel, and he placed the uh, the Steely right there on the floor of of uh, Congress. So awesome. That's all I got. Now his his um, moving speech was brought to the floor by Dead & Company's final three concerts this past weekend uh, in San Francisco, California. And while, Fig, you did not stay awake for all three nights, um, I know Nob, I think, stayed awake for at least two of them. Nob had a job to do. (laughs) I I felt really silly. During that second show, I was like starting to fall asleep, and they did the morning dew, and I was like, this is great, I love this, and I was like, but I was sort of drifting off, because it was, you know, 1.30 in the morning, and then I'm like, okay, it's a Saturday, they'll just do a one more Saturday night to close it, and then I can go to bed, and they start playing Ripple, and I'm like, I got no idea how many fucking encores they're going to do at this point, I'm going to bed, and then I I fall asleep. I thought you were going to say, what day is this? Yeah, I wake up the next morning and see that they only played Ripple as an encore, and I felt pretty silly for not staying up for six more minutes. Hmm. And Ripple's your jam, man. Yeah, I know. I know. I won't tell your dad. Thanks. And, and it's good because he doesn't listen to the show. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess let's, um, let's go musically first. Sure. And then we will go spectacle second. Um, anything over the past three nights of Dead & Company? Did anything really like, jump out and grab you? 
Yeah, there was some really fun playing. There was an, an interview that they did with Mayer that I think they played during the set break of the first show. Yes. Where he was talking about himself kind of being done with this this chapter of his life and, and with playing the music in this configuration. And he was talking about how for these final shows, he was kind of keenly aware of the fact that a lot of times they're playing final renditions of these songs with this it's band. And you could kind of feel a sense that they were trying to lay it all out there on the line. And they, I would say, succeeded more often than not. I would consider that China Rider to be one of the best I've heard out of them. I was really impressed with the Eyes of the World, the Morning Dew. Uh, they did another Fast They Love Each Other, which was really cool. Uh, yeah, all in all, I was very impressed with this last go-around. I'm going to agree. Um, nothing really jumps out particularly. Um, there were no bust outs, I don't believe, over the three nights. No, uh, it was France. going to be, and it's all over now, but it was uh, crossed off in favor of New Speedway Boogie. Yeah, I would have preferred probably the It's All Over Now, although New Speedway Boogie's good too. Um, no special guests. Nope. Yeah, so, what was up with the, there was some Dylan talk on the last episode. Yeah, everyone, uh, everyone rumor? kept saying that Bob Dylan was going to show up, and uh, mm. it turned out to not be the case i'm i'm it's honestly who glad like because as great as bob dylan is and as cool as it would have been to have seen him there it, it was their last show sure. i wanted it to be a celebration of this band and the cool stuff that they had done over the last eight years and that's what mm. this weekend felt like i like a good guest sit-in i was happy to see joe russo sit in with them at city field and i'm a uh, uh, Dave Matthews sit-in defender for the most part. But uh, at this stage in the game, I was glad that they just let the six guys go out there and do what they do best. Yeah, I was... Um, the show I was most awake for was night, <laughs> was, was night three. Yeah. Um, just because. And... It was good. You had Mondays off work, right? And I do have Mondays off work. Yes. <laughs> um, it was good. Um, it definitely felt like the end. Like, like you said it best. It did really feel like they really were playing some of the songs. Like this is the last time. Like we need to like really like go above and beyond. And um, it was good. I even liked the drums of space of everything I saw over the weekend. And I don't know why. I don't know what incessive pounding of this weekend i liked more than the other previous weekends but i did it was good uh the drones were dope as hell as always yeah, that was cool um i showed my wife she doesn't give a shit about anything at all when <laughs> i showed her i'm like this is gonna be the new fireworks like fireworks are gonna be bullshit compared to drone shows in 20 in like 15 years um i really enjoyed the fact that mickey thanked the crew at the very yes. end yeah, um cool. that was very very nice um and i keep kind of looking on instagram waiting for the big old john mayer sappy end of dead company post and it hasn't come yet and um well it's because it's not the end like let's you know let's talk about that aspect i mean no one's saying it's the end of dead and company i i think the delineation at this point is that it's the end of dead and company as a touring uh, entity, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we have. I mean, yeah. this isn't news, but this is certainly what's being alluded to by the band, and I don't know. Well, re I would reasonableness say, since they're you know bringing in tons of money still. <laughs> I I would say it was being alluded to by Mickey. Um, I think uh, O'Teal, O'Teal, 
True, OTL2. But um, I kind of think a lot of people were hoping for a bit more clarity of the situation with Bobby's interview um, on the final night, and I don't think anybody got anything from that. <laughs> so, no. No. <laughs> and it wasn't Bobby's fault. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, it definitely... To me, it feels like the end. Uh, not obviously of of this music, but I don't know. I just I'd be surprised if we see them up in any. I don't know if they come back and do playing in the sand. Yeah, that's, like that's I would. I, see I I would think that's kind of shitty. Personally, mm. personally, my opinion. Um, also, I would agree, but it makes sense that that's what maybe they have in mind, or or even like a one off, like a um, fare thee yeah. well. Like I don't see what the real big difference is. Uh, and and also, I hear a lot of people, and by me saying I hear a lot of people, a lot of people comment this on Reddit, that they would like them to be in the sphere in Vegas uh, for like a Vegas residency. Residency, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if... I don't know. I don't know. To me, when you were reading uh, the representative's speech, he said, mm -hmm. um, Jerry Garcia said, like, maybe we're just America's last great adventure. And... There's nothing that speaks less about adventure than a residency in a Vegas venue for X <laughs> amount. You're right. I want a residency at Six Flags Great Adventure. Right. You know, I want to feel like I'm going to get shanked in the parking lot, and I will feel that way at Six Flags more than the MGM Sphere in Vegas. That's for damn sure. Um, especially if you go to the one in D.C. Not 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 so good Six Flags there. Um, I don't know. I just feel like the Grateful Dead is, you know, like you're on the road like you're 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 meeting wooks you know like you know it's 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 americana it's biggest, yeah, well, the, yeah. yeah the yeah. touring is so much an aspect of the yeah, culture both sure. within and surrounding the band that a residency mm -hmm. it would definitely be a different vibe i would Don't almost... get me wrong i'm griping about it now i'd tune into every stream but yeah, so would i i don't know it's just it would definitely be noticeably different if it went from shows yeah. in different places to a bunch of shows in one place mm. sure zach do you have any thoughts about the conversation we've had so far about dnc's last couple shows about what the future may have for the band yeah i wish i'd seen the shows already like we were talking about i think before we started recording i i didn't get a chance to see them this weekend and i'm gonna watch them soon but i've seen clips and you know i've checked out the set list and i was watching for guests and things like that um yeah. But yeah, I think uh, I think it's true, um, and it's a good point that it is just the last tour, and I think we should expect to see a lot of like three night runs um, in the coming years, or at least the next couple years. Uh, you know, they'll certainly do something for um, the the sixtieth anniversary in twenty twenty five, and I think between now and then, um, yeah, we should expect shoreline runs or MSG runs, things like that. So I think we'll see uh, a bunch more Dead and Co. and probably even the same lineup. I would imagine. I can't see. Um, I know, like any band, there's drama there internally, um, but I can't yeah. see them breaking that up or or swapping anybody out. Um, so yeah, I think I, my prediction is that we'll see more shows from the same band, just not in a touring capacity, um, over the next couple of years. And that makes sense to me. I mean, the logistics involved on, on a, a one-off or, you know, three night run here or there is a lot less intense, a, a lot less, uh, mm -hmm. 
you know, a lot less, in, you know, involved than, than just a runoff. So uh, we'll see. I hope so. I hope we get more of this because it's definitely a, a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of the great town of San Francisco, California. Nice. Nice, nice segue. That is an award-winning segue nice. right there. I was going to go. the best in the biz. <laughs> it's 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 those pauses that I do. It's those it's those nice. I I I just Very let the moment breathe just enough. Mark, you treat podcasting like an art form, and I respect you for that. Thank you. I'm glad you noticed. We are featuring this week's main event, which was April fifteenth, nineteen seventy, a beautiful Wednesday night in San Francisco, California. Uh, this was was this just a one set show, or do we just have audio of said? Set? Oh, that's a good question. I th that's a good I believe question. it's just a one set. So there was yeah. some chatter about how if you go on. Days of the Dead, or I forget, there was like a box set that came out that, um, that there was some songs missing from what we have here on the archive, but I couldn't find that on the streaming sites, and I can't, you know, so I can't vouch for that, but we'll just call it a one-set wonder, sure. I mean, you know, it's early 70s, that's not un unheard of. No, I've always known this show, though, to be Cold Rain, um, Mama Tried, Man's World. Candyman. Yeah, that's. I'm surprised that's. Oh missing yeah, so listing because that was on our tape as well. Was it? Uh, yeah, I don't have. Right. So okay. So on the show sheet here, I, I got this to from Mama Tried in Man's World. I listened. I to definitely. It, yeah. I definitely okay. did too. <laughs> um, I didn't. I, yeah, I was like, oh my god, there's a, a China writer. I have nothing prepared for China writer. Um, so I got this little squib from Dead Base. Um, like Dead Base font. Yeah, yeah, that is that is from Dead Base, and uh, Dead Base is saying that they started with Cold Rain, then busted into China Rider. But oh. what we listen to um, on the archive is Cold Rain into um, Mama Tried. Into Man's which I've always I, I I know this show, and I've always I've always known it to be Cold Rain, Mama Tried, Man's World. Yeah, because that's what's on the archive. Um, yeah. So not sure what's going on there, but I'm gonna let uh, Game continue. Yes, let's just go right into the um, one set wonder here. And for for it being a one set wonder show, so it was a clocked in over an hour and a half. So it was a decent one set wonder show. Uh, set one, uh, I guess the only set uh, gave <laughs> us uh, cold rain and snow. Then we got Mama tried. It's a man's world. Nice to Candyman. Hard to handle. Cumberland blues. Uh, cryptical envelope. <laughs> Someone say that because I can't at the moment. Cryptical envelopment. I appreciate you. Drums, jam, drums. That's it for the other one. Knob one more time. Cryptical envelopment. Dire wolf dancing in the streets. Oh. Turn on your love light, not fade away. I need. I need a um. What's it called? I need a soundboard with just knobs saying cryptical envelopment, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I need I just one of those, to hit those easy buttons. <laughs> yeah. And then the show ended with another uh, turn on your love light. Um, the fans of the podcast always hear what myself, Fig, and Knob have to say about these shows. Uh, so let's throw it to Zach for his thoughts first. Zach, what were your thoughts on April 15th, 1970 from Winterland? I've got a lot of thoughts on this show, <clears throat> um, and I took notes. Again, I, like I said, it's a show I'm familiar with, and I've always loved this show. 
Um, I took a bunch of notes on this last cool. listen. So should we start with overall feeling on the show or do you want to just go straight through it? It's up to you. I usually go with overall feeling and then and then jump into a song by song breakdown. But um, it's completely up to you. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, well, to do it. overall feeling on the show is great. Um, I like that. I mean, I have a lot of notes on on little detailed things that that do it for me. But um, I like that there's nothing really crazy about this show um and it's not one that you you know people don't reference like oh like that that crazy jam on four fifteen seventy. you know there's there's nothing there's no big honking um black eyes or or like legendary golden moments to me on this show but uh it's solid and um there's still you can hear a lot of um to me this is like polished primal dead which i love and uh they're really starting to figure out um i think stage volume and uh and and how to play together more dynamically they were doing that in the psychedelic phase for sure but here they're really starting to play together beautifully and um and so i love that that's some of my favorite stuff to listen to those transformations sweet do you want to talk about your notes like uh go go down the the set list for sure um, I guess I should also add to the overall that this is one of my favorite guitar combos for Jerry and Bobby. Jerry's playing a uh, a, a 60s Stratocaster made by Fender. Uh, it's important to, for guitar nerds, I think, to note that this one is a, a pre-CBS um, Strat. CBS bought Fender from Leo Fender um, in 1967 and started to mass produce a bunch of stuff and the um you know guitar nerds and gear nerds probably know that fender quality took a nosedive for a while when cbs purchased it so um it's always fun to see jerry playing pre-cbs strats because we all know and he knew then that they were much better and we've also got bobby playing a uh, a gibson es 345 it's the red one with the trapeze tailpiece and the the canada sticker on it the maple leaf which i love i love bobby on that guitar it's a great sounding guitar they're great sounding guitars in general. This one sounds really good, and there's a reason he played it over and over. Um, and so this guitar combo on this show is killer. And that actually segues, I'm, I'm going to pat myself on the back um, as making myself a real nice segue right there. My first note is uh, Bobby's tone and volume right off the bat in uh, Cold Rain and Snow. He's um, His tone is killer. It's super buttery, it's super fat, and it cuts through really nicely. He's at a nice volume, which we could probably partially thank the mix for or the soundboard. Um, but I'm sure he was loud on stage too. At this point, they were playing really loud on stage. And uh, it, right off the bat in Cold Rain and Snow, Jerry's doing that low, honky, you know, baseline part that he always does in Cold Rain and Snow. And Bobby's almost taking some lead parts hmm. um, and playing like some some pentatonic riffs up high. And it almost you have to wonder like, is that Jerry playing? But it's it's Bobby playing those like solo riffs on the intro. Yeah. Which I love. Yep. Um, I love the primal Bobby scream at the end of Cold Rain and Snow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the a la St. Stephen uh, scream. I don't know. I wonder when he stopped doing that. That that actually ties into my last scream. note, so I'll loop back on that. But um, I wonder when that stuff sort of vanished. It's hard to tell. Um, to me, I'm just going to keep going through tunes. Is that good? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's uh, good. 
the mama tried is great nothing terribly crazy or, or exciting about it to me other than that um i hear a little bit of harmonizing on some of the verses which is cool um maybe it was something they were playing with and never decided to do or maybe they did do it for a while i'm i'm scratchy on that but i liked hearing it at least on the first verse someone was trying it out probably jerry uh these guys were experts even back this far at building set lists because that's such a classic Grateful Dead open. And then boom, Pigpen on Man's World is just like he's there to steal every single woman in the audience. And uh he's just throwing it down with so much authority and his feet are planted so firmly on planet Earth. I love it so much. I love I love when he comes in strong like that. Um great man's world i also like that in the uh solo section of man's world we start to hear jerry mixing in maybe even a little bit of mixolydian um guitar playing which is uh for for those that that means nothing to um it's it's one of his signature sounds um is playing in this mixolydian it's a mode but we'll call it a scale just to make it simple and uh you hear that a lot, and it's sort of, you know, like when a guitarist wants to mimic the Jerry thing, they'll go right for Mixolydian. There's a lot more to it, but a lot of what Jerry did can be boxed into uh, Mixolydian playing. And so you start to hear some of this uh, in the Man's World solo when he starts it off and he's building it up. Um, it's nice because up until this point, he's done a lot of just like, you know, it's been Primal Dead and he's playing a lot of like blues scales. And so this was some of the first hinting to me from Jerry that we were like going to start to take things that weren't traditionally spacey and maybe make them a little spacey and a little sillier. I love it. Hmm. Um, okay. Moving on to Candyman. It's a pretty classic Candyman for this era. Jerry starts it on the strumming. There's no big, uh, big intro like there was on the album or or like they did for the rest of time um funny in the solo i think what i hear is you know there's Candyman changed throughout the years and they said candy man comes around again and then there's a walk up boom 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 come all you pretty one whatever uh so that walk up changes time throughout the years and maybe they were figuring out where they wanted it. But to me, I hear a false start on Jerry's solo. He starts to play the melody on guitar. And then the band sort of hesitates and walks up. And he restarts the solo, which is uh, which is funny. It's classic Grateful Dead to me. I love hearing the, the risk-taking um, live on tape. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, also love hearing Phil's high harmony on songs like Candyman and Cumberland um it's great you know he lost he lost that ability at, at one point and wasn't able to sing high anymore but those early shows that's phil singing the high part on everything and uh the Candyman harmony and chord that they're building on the chorus is like almost completely different from what they did on the album or again in later years and uh it's great to hear phil high up on those um hard to handle next super strong pig pens firing on all cylinders it sounds like to me same as man's world he comes in super strong and uh and owns it real hard nothing to uh nothing to report really for me on on hard to handle either way as far as the structure of the song or them crushing it i think it's just a great classic hard to handle um i don't know did they is part of that recording lost i i've i remember this from the past and on this recording and i tried another one when listening over the past couple days and the hard to handle fades out yeah yeah the ending is missing. 
so we lost the ending. So maybe there's an epic jam there that we didn't get to hear. But I do like leading into the jam section. Um, they vamp for quite a while. I mean, uh, Pigpen always does that. Some of you love, got to have it. He goes back and forth and does his Pigpen thing. But even after that, the band vamps for a little while on just a B chord, which that song is in B. And um, it's real. it shows a lot of patience and um a lot of dynamics and it, and it shows you know like that they're thinking about what they're going to do and that they're they're concerned with building this in the right way which i love because the the primal stuff is so rock and roll and so like it's on 11 all the time which is so cool but this is really neat to see them starting to sort of form what they're going to do in later years and uh you know they can be so patient later on i love that about their their jamming and and uh and building they're so patient and they're so good at keeping a jam or a solo at like a medium boil you know i i always say that to my band like we got to nail the mezzo forte thing because um you know when you look at maybe if you were to put a lot of rock bands on like a seismograph and watch the the waveforms and the intensity of the music build and and ebb and flow it's going to be pretty routine it's going to look like mountains and they're going to have this big peak and they're going to come back down and finish the song and then it's time for a jam again big peak and they'll come back down or they'll keep it really low for a long time and then do a big peak and they'll, they'll sort of simmer for a while but the dead is so good at, at getting the the music to like just below a rolling boil and uh so it's pretty raucous and it's pretty cacophonous and uh pretty ragey but it's not boiling over the top they're still saving that sweet moment and they're so good at keeping that medium boil for such a long time it's i i can't I, I like still speechless about it 20 years later thinking about it um it's so cool and it's just something not a lot of bands do and so i see some of that in the beginning of the hard to handle jam everyone's doing their thing and they're chugging along like the train is at full speed and it's it's fully loaded down, but it's not coming off the tracks yet, and I love that. Sorry, I could talk about that all day. No, it's it's awesome insight, really good. Um, okay, and then Cumberland, uh, to me, uh, same thing. It's ni- a nice Cumberland. It's a solid Cumberland. Nothing to write home about. Um, I guess that almost puts a negative spin on it when I say nothing to write no, home no. about. But... Yeah, no, it, it's good. I mean, um, you know, not every song, you know needs that kind of uh explanation you know um yeah it's fine yeah yeah cumberland is just a standard good old cumberland to me same with cryptical um it's actually a little little bit sloppy but those sort of always were um and it's good it's fine i think they were pretty excited to get to the jam part of uh of cryptical and other one it sounds Mm -hmm. like to me um so cryptical's nice the drums is really cool i'm trying to figure out who would have been you know, but clearly Billy's doing the uh, the classic thing, but someone is playing around on just a couple symbols, and I'm trying to figure out who that would have been. Well, maybe Pig. Um, I can't tell, but that the drum section there is really, really nice. Um, and Phil comes into other one strong. It's a really nice other one. Um, but the uh, the post other one jam uh bobby's playing is some of the best i've ever heard out of him again it's that he's nice and loud his tone is great and i love that guitar but um and like later bobby stuff 80 stuff which i love is super heady and like i could spend hours trying to figure out what he's doing because it's so thoughtful and so intricate and this stuff is not as 
it's intricate, but it's not quite as weird or heady. But my God, it's so tasty and it's so thoughtful. Yep. Like the placement, steering around Jerry and and the percussion and and uh, <clears throat> weaving in and out of what Phil is doing. Bobby is uh, amazing right in that post post out of one jam. Um, nice jam there. I like that. It's pretty concise. All of it. It's it's very uh, that that I can't remember if it's before other one or after but there's a really nice um like tribal section sort of where yeah. phil phil leads it and then billy just goes nuts on the kit um i think that was in what was described as jam yeah i think so yeah, too that, which was right before the other one yep right before yeah yeah and then they they stick to the other one and the bluesy kind of stuff after before cryptical really nice um they finish off cryptical it's nice good crowd reaction when they get back to cryptical i love that because that mm-hmm um probably home crowd advantage right they're in san francisco yeah and maybe critical (laughs) wasn't coming out quite as often by 70 maybe they were laying off of it a little bit yeah i think about Um, six months after this would be the last time they regularly played it right yep came back a couple of times in the 80s yep um dire wolf is nice again nothing crazy though i do like that this is the two solo version of dire wolf there's the um, the first solo where it always happens um, uh, for the rest of time with Dire Wolf. But then there's a second solo toward the end that's like, uh, it's like an interlude kind of, and it leads into a chorus, which I love. Um, they, I don't know when they dropped that, but they were doing it early on. Uh, and this is a great example of it because it's just a nice, solid show. Um, your standard Love Light, I feel like. They're really percussive on this show, so that's nice for songs like Love Light. And not fade away. Uh, they're really, uh, they're really rocking and uh, just holding down the rhythm section. Super hardcore. Um, I love that the uh, not fade away is super short. It was like two and a half minutes or something. Yeah. Um, in and out. I love that they're keeping it Buddy Holly style, just rocking. And uh, another nice closing classic, slightly raucous love light at the end, which is very cool. Um, a lot of playfulness I'm hearing, which actually leads me back to the, the primal scream after cold rain and snow, yeah. um, Bobby and Pigpen are super playful during the end love light. And they're having a really good time hooting and hollering and screaming and being silly. And I wonder when that like left for good, that playfulness, you know, and that silliness of, there was always like some degree of it, of course, in the grateful dead's music and Bobby's always doing his his hollering at the end of estimated or wherever else. But um, it just, for some reason seems sillier in this era and I love it. It's a lot of fun to listen to. And I wonder when they, when they got more serious about it, Mm. but that's it. That's my, my 10 minute review of this show. Yeah. Well done, man. Thanks. Thank you. A lot of, a lot of good insight to the show. Um, Probably more insight than, than (laughs) myself will, uh, We'll have. Um, how do we want to do this? Uh, Nob, you want to go, or maybe we'll let Game make the decision. Game, game usually kind of uh, punts. You know, he usually kind of hands the hands the ball off. So yeah, I'm gonna we leave, have I'm no uh, decision making ability for ourselves. Uh, we are subservient to Game at all times. First off, let me just say quickly that based off my usual yeah or meh scale, <laughs> uh, Zach, you just fucking crushed it, brother. That was an <laughs> awesome, awesome review. For real, that was Thanks, that, man. Thank that you. Was it was Excellent. very well done. Such a such a different um, mindset, I guess, 
coming from uh like like mm. your uh musician mind and my just like this sounds good this sounds like shit you know that kind of stuff so <laughs> right. I, it was awesome uh oh, cool but based off of that let's throw it to fig fig oh, what man. are your thoughts on april 15th 19 it, it's mostly it's mostly this sounds good this sounds shit <laughs> <laughs> um so okay so primal dead i i'm not a primal dead enjoyer however i guess i'm a primal dead appreciator and this was one that i could appreciate um i liked the way that zach you you mentioned that it was polished and uh, polished primal dead and i thought that was a, a good way to put it and that's how i would say it too i mean i can just kind of see myself i mean this was an audience tape i believe so it was you know it was it sounded great and you know i could kind of place myself in winterland in april um maybe it was cold maybe it was raining uh, maybe it was snowing probably not but, um, you know, it was cool just to kind of think about the dead just kind of trucking down to Winterland for an hour and a half and just seeing what they could do on that night. Mm. Uh, so they come out to Cold Rain and Snow. Jerry sounds great right off the bat. I thought this one had a nice tension to it. Uh, the yeah. harmonies aren't great. You mentioned the Phil harmonies. I am not. I do not enjoy Phil's high harmonies. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to bitch about it like for for this show because I thought it, uh, they were actually pretty good and I'm probably going to... Uh, contradict myself as I go throughout it uh, throughout the set, but um, at the very end of Culver and Snow we get this Bobby scream, a primal scream, I like that, that's a good way to put it and we get into Mama Tried and I thought Bobby sounded just incredible on his vocal performance there we get to It's a Man's Man's World, and I believe this is a uh, James Brown song? Or mm, my, yes. yeah, or maybe made famous by James Brown um, I thought this one was strange. That's what I wrote. I just, I wasn't buying it. Um, I thought Pigpen was screamy, and I don't like screamy Pigpen all the time. I didn't like the harmonies at the end, where everyone was trying to do like a three-part harmony, trying to sound like a guitar riff. Yeah, I think that's what it was. That wasn't doing it for me either. So this one, I, I could leave um, in in games terminology shit. Um, <laughs> Candyman, this one felt like a waltz. It doesn't have that kind of sneaky, suspicious feeling that you get with later versions that my ear kind of, uh, you, know, you know, wants to hear. Some good country-western harmonies on this one, though. I thought that was kind of cool. We get to Hard to Handle. This was my favorite pig song on the night. I thought it was very well sung, very deliberately sung. There's no, like, slurring, which you get from a lot of Pink Pen songs. This was uh, a really good Hard to Handle. Into Cumberland Blues, we get some great Jerry uh, riffs going on there. This was more of a straightforward rocker. Uh, did like that one. And then we get into this kind of cryptical envelopment suite. And I thought this was where, you know, this was like kind of like opening the window into, you know, what comes next for the Grateful Dead with like, you know, these, you know, more, eh, they did a lot with Darkstar, but, um, you know, this was, you know, just a different feel on the set, like, you know, going into uh, kind of the space regions. Um, and I thought cryptical was well done into drums in space drums um you know game uh you know for you it was only about five minutes of drums which was pretty cool uh the jam was really cool it was very dancey i thought that it was almost like an afro beat style uh, you know fella kuti i'm thinking of some other you know uh west african like yoruba singers i i heard and i really like that style so i mm -hmm. i credit to um i guess it wasn't the full rhythm devils but i credit to whoever was playing um uh rhythm that night um with Billy, because uh, it just sounded great. I really liked that one. And we go to the other one. Um, so it was interesting, Zach, you kind of mentioned Bobby on this one. I thought Bobby really um, 
provide a great accompaniment. That's what I have here in my notes. I, actually, in my notes, I, I wrote down that it felt like du- like dueling machine guns. Like you had two guys just kind mm. of going at it, and it worked, and it was loud, and it was in your face, and they were both doing different stuff, but it worked so well. Uh, this was a real highlight for me. Going back into Cryptical, um, it was a nice bookend. Um, I didn't like the jam into Direwolf. It kind of was a sleepy, kind of toe-tapping version. Didn't really work after I wrote Cryptical Daydream, and that's that's really what it felt like. It felt like a, a head trip or um, a dream or something. That was, to me, the Cryptical jam, Cryptical other one was a highlight. We get into dancing. So first couple of listens to, I thought that this was uh, the nadir of the set. The last time I listened to it, I thought it was actually the best part of the set. I really liked the jam. Uh, there's some really good interplay there between Cherry and Phil. I th- I wrote beautiful jam question mark. Um, I don't know if they were bringing out beautiful jam there if I was just thinking it or maybe I just don't know enough about Primal to know. But um, some really cool jamming there. And we get into Lovelight, which oh it come it cuts into Lovelight uh, right into the first verse. So there are some parts of this uh, show that are missing. This is the tight version of Lovelight, and then not fade away Lovelight. I, I feel a little voyeuristic sometimes uh, talking about these songs you know, 50, 60 years later, just because I, I really think that part of the Grateful Dead's, what they were doing at the time was just making a big party, and it doesn't really work in the way that we're dissecting it 50, 60 years later. So I'll just mm-hmm. say it was good. I don't have much to say. It was it was a vibe more than anything. And I will kick it over to Nob. Sure. Thank you. Um, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, the big thing that kept coming to my mind was the contrast. Like, this is a really excellent display of pretty much everything the dead could do at this point. You get mm. some nice, uh, like, bluesy-feeling songs with the pig pen stuff. You get the, the country vibes with Mama Tried and Dire Wolf. You get quiet stuff like Candyman. You get loud, intense stuff like Hard to Handle. It just runs the gambit of what this band is capable at in this point in time. And no two songs really felt like each other, which was really cool to hear. Um, I thought Cold Rain and Snow was a really fun opener. Uh, like you were saying, Fig, the, the tension and release is in great display here. Yeah. It's, it's very quiet and subdued. And then some wonderful explosions of energy. Uh, some really nice Jerry and Bobby interplay over the jam section. And then, yeah, Bob lets out a nice scream to let us know how much he liked that cold rain and snow. Um, the one thing that stands out listening to this tape are the the slight feedback issues that plague the first couple of songs and cause them to abandon and then restart Mama Tried. I love Jerry's quick little everything went weird all at once. Um <laughs> And then once they get into it and move past that, it's, it's a really good vibe. The Mama Tried's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm coming down pro It's a Man's World. I'm, I'm team. I liked it. I'll mm-hmm. politely disagree with my, uh, my colleague, Fig. Um, there's a very active vocal part from Pigpen. I would definitely say that it is uh, uh, more... It's, I wouldn't go so far as to call it screamy, but if there's a number that comes close, it is this one. Uh, there is just truly explosive energy. The drum work is a lot of fun. Some very active lines from the guitars. Uh, it's it's nice as well to hear a slightly different take on the pig pen improv section. It felt more like hard to handle, where he just adds some little vocalizations rather than a proper rap that you get and say love light or good lovin'. I thought mm-hmm. it was neat. 
Um, and then a fast, sensitive Candyman. It's only the sixth ever time they had played that song. Uh, I promise I Googled that and did not know that off the top of my head. Oh, you have a spreadsheet all about it. No, not that. Um, but there was some really nice playing from Jerry. It, it definitely feels different than Candyman usually feels, but I thought it was an interesting, different vibe. Um, Hard to Handle is really fun, really hot. My only gripe is that we don't get the tail end of it. And the solo was really fun the whole time, but it was starting to really get cooking into something special just as the tape starts to cut off. Um, so I can't give a full critique on that one, but I really enjoyed what I was able to hear. Um, this uh, 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 Cumberland Blues is a lot of fun. There are some spotty vocal harmonies, but I like the energy. It was kind of a runaway freight train of ferociously fun dance and music. Um, I, I would consider that one of my favorites of this set. Uh, but to me, the, the highlight is the whole that's it for the other one suite. I really enjoyed it, especially that jam after drums. It was fast and it was intense, but it never stayed in the same place for too long, which was really cool. Uh, this, as well as Dancing in the Streets, were great examples of one person introducing a new musical idea, everyone else going, oh, that's cool, and then jumping and, and supporting that musical idea until someone else came up with a cool new musical idea and everyone followed that person. And that was a lot of fun to hear that, that full band interplay. Uh, and once they got into the other one part, uh, it was like I kept finding myself being pulled into the trance of it all only to be pulled out by someone playing a particularly hot or spicy part. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. And I thought it was a pretty slick transition into Dire Wolf. I'll agree that it was a little sleepy, but it was really clean. Uh, it's not the best Dire Wolf I've heard, and it's not the highlight of this set by any stretch, but it's got some good vibes to it. Uh, this was a really good dancing in the streets. Uh, we've had the 70s arrangement on the show before, and we've yeah. had... Some good ones and some not-so-good ones. This was a really successful version of that older arrangement. Uh, tighter harmonies than you usually get, uh, but things really get cooking in the jam. I got a little jamnesia in the middle of it. I found myself nice. going, am I back in the other one? What is going on here? Uh, this is another great example of the band uh, jumping on each other's musical ideas. Uh, and a very slick transition back into the sung part. Uh, maybe that's just because I've been listening to too much fish lately, but I find myself being a little critical about, uh, the transitions going from jams back into the sung parts of songs. Uh, and this is a really slick transition back into the end of Dancing in the Street. Uh, and then Love Light is just a wonderful explosion of energy to close things out. Pigpen is having a lot of fun with it, which is great. Uh, a very tight transition into Not Fade Away. And it was interesting how they not only went together musically, uh, but they had a really interesting lyrical contrast where Love Light is begging this other person to show love to the, the narrator, whereas Not Fade Away is this display of an undying love. Uh, it almost felt like while Pigpen was singing about his relationship woes, like Jerry and Bob chimed in about how good things are going with them. Like, I thought that was just Gosh, funny, wow. too. You made a whole hear. soap opera about it. Yeah, 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 there's, there's definitely gotcha. some, uh, it, it wasn't just cool because both songs are in E. There was definitely something interesting about putting these songs together to me. Um, and then, yeah, an intense ending with, with Bob and Pigpen playfully trying to outscream each other, uh, yeah. which was really cool to hear. 
and then a, a nice, you know, drawn out, but truly felt like a, a definitive, conclusive ending to this show. And maybe that's just because so often I listen to Primal Dead shows that end with Love Light, but the tape cuts out after 20 minutes. It was just nice to hear the end of a Love Light for the first time in a little bit on this show. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's, those are my big thoughts. Uh, I enjoyed this one a lot. I thought it was cool. What did you think, game? Well, I think the three of you have spoke so eloquently about this show that I will not do a song-by-song song review of everything, other than saying I really liked this entire show. Um, all of it. The whole thing was good. Uh, and I'm definitely on Team Man's World. Definitely on um, Team Man's World. Um, noted. Yeah, for off sure. Off the island. You are off of the island. <laughs> to date oh. myself with that reference. Um, also, Nob, is Jamnesia on a TV. thing? Did, did, did you make that up? No, that's a thing. No, that's a thing. Okay. I didn't, I've I never heard that point that word right now. No, I honestly thought that that was like a knob, you know, a no, knob no, no, we'd have we'd have already started printing T-shirts with that by now. <laughs> by the way, you could make some money with T-shirts, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this was um, this was a great show. Um, I, I found interesting in the um, archive comments that apparently this was Donna Jean's first show as a fan. Ooh. Oh, interesting. Oh. Apparently she told she was on, I guess, I don't want to say, some sort of live interview with uh, Betty Cantor Jackson. Okay. Uh, and it was linked here from nine years ago, and I don't have the audio turned up on this video, but yeah, apparently um, this was Donna Jean's very first show, which is pretty Damn cool, in my opinion. Cool. Um, not a man's I, world for too much longer. It was not. No. Don Jean came in and she was like, we're about to put me on playing in the band. We're about to start yelling. <laughs> I'm going to uh, shit up. <laughs> I love Donna Jean. Um, but no, this was a, a very, very, like I said, very good 70s show. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap on up for today. Um, let's see here. We have no Scarlet Fire to rate. Um, Book of the Dead. I'm going to go ahead and actually kick off this voting because uh, I'm actually an emphatic yes. Um, this was really good. Um, I have nothing bad to say about this entire show. Um, Fig, Book of the Dead, yay or nay? I'm going to go with Nay. Uh, this was one I enjoyed more than I thought I would enjoy. Um, it's not one I'm going to be bookmarking coming back to, however. Knob, Book of the Dead, yay or nay? Oh, I don't know. It straddles the line for me. If it's a yes, it's just barely. If it's not, it's just barely. It's right on that line. I'm leaning towards no, but... There is a lot of good in here, and I'm sure if you quizzed me about it in a week, I would feel differently. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think right. if you quizzed me about it in a week, I would probably have forgotten what I listened to, <laughs> which is the nature of what we do here. And Zach, would this show make your book of the dead? I don't think this makes my book of the dead. It's a nice show. It's solid. It's, it's, it's good. There's some good examples of stuff, but... Um, no, it's not exciting enough for me. I did not think I was going to be the only yes 
of the Book of the Dead. Me and Maybe Donna, you're not a Primal <laughs> Dead hater. Me and Donna Jean are the only ones who have this show put down on their on their date book. For it's <laughs> just a little. It's a little vanilla. If I would almost be more apt to say yes if there were some more wacky and ridiculous and train wreck moments you know yeah it, maybe that's what i've maybe that's what i've always needed i've needed the most boring primal dead shows and that just hits it off for me maybe maybe that's oh, always been the key maybe well, i think i key. figured it out there's a five minute drums and for game yeah, that's that, just like the, the sweet spot perfect. for drums I can make a snack in that time and still have and, and not and not miss anything um i think at the saturday Dead and Company drums in space. I definitely smoked at least one and a half pre rolls outside, and ca and came in, and it was still happening. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! How many rolls did you smoke during this one? Uh, half a one. Uh, <laughs> um, we all have any set to vote on this week, so that's kind of sad. Um, MVP. Uh, Zach, we'll kick it off with you. Who would be your show MVP? It's an easy one for me, Bobby. Mm. Uh, Nob, show MVP. Uh, I think I got to give it to Jerry. Oh, would be a good answer as well. Fig, show MVP. Uh, I was going to say Bobby before Zach was going to say Bobby, so I'm going to go with Bobby and <laughs> pretend that Zach copied me. Uh, I'm going. I want to go Bobby as well. Um, normally. I would say uh, JG's MVP of a Primal Dead show, but this was this that this was a Bobby night, so Bobby wins for me. Uh, we only had one comment on La Reddit this week, and it was from um, I'm going to assume this person wants their name to be Indigo Child, but it's instead I N D G C H L D. So Ingid Child for the license plate. Yes, thank you for your comment of love this project. Keep it coming. Uh, we will, as Nob responded so eloquently. So, hey, we will. Thank you for responding. Um, next week, we are staying in the 70s. Uh, but this time, and actually, we're staying on the same day. We're staying on the 15th, uh, but not the same month. We the are Ides. The Ides. Yes. Uh, we are moving to December 15th. 1978 at the Boutwell Auditorium, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, a quick glance over the set list of next week's show. Um, looks promising. Yeah. I see. I see nothing offensive on there. Um, I'm happy yeah, to be nice back in the set. From the heart of me, which will be cool. Oh, I love that song. Oof, love um, it. Speaking of Donna always... Jean, yeah, yeah. 78's a good year for El Paso's. Yeah. Another terrible one. I'm a big 78 fan, so I'm I'm always happy to just see that number on our maybe on our list. Maybe we should start rating the Terrapins instead of the Scarlet Fires. <laughs> it has been a while since we've had a Scarlet Fire to rate, I feel like. Um, before we go into our bookkeeping of this episode, I do want to say one more quick final thank you uh, to Zach Nugent for joining us today. Um, Zach, anything you would like to plug personally? Uh, well, thank you guys so much for having me. I love doing this kind of stuff. It's so much fun. And you guys are a great group with a great idea. So I'd love to do one of these again someday. Um and Absolutely. uh yeah my band dead set is hitting the road pretty heavy this fall uh we've got a busy august that's mainly east coast with a couple 
San Francisco appearances, but starting uh, September 30th, we're hitting the road for two months um, and we'll be home Thanksgiving weekend. So uh, we're hitting every corner of the United States and everywhere in between. And if you haven't seen us or if you want to see us, check out my website. We're probably playing somewhere real close to you. Yes, once again, Zach's website is Zach Nugent, that's Z-A-C-H-N-U-G-E-N-T dot com. And a little spoiler alert, I do believe uh, Fig and I are going to try to make your August 10th date in Lancaster. Oh, cool. Uh, That's uh, in our general area. Fig, I'm pretty sure I can make that date, spoiler alert. Um, Can make that date more than I can make the Ardmore date the next day. So. You and I will finalize plans on that uh, in the coming coming days. Uh, but yes, once again, that is ZachNugent.com for all of Zach's upcoming tour dates. Uh, now, our upcoming uh, nothing, uh, our bookkeeping, oh. rather. Uh, as always, please go ahead and smash that subscribe button. And as always, like and share with any and all of your Grateful Dead loving friends and family. You may find us at wherever podcasts are downloaded. Uh, however, if you do happen to use a service that loosely rhymes with whiskey, tango, foxtrotify, you won't find us on them. Uh, any nice. other podcast platforms, you will find us on. We are available for download, but not that stupid whiskey tango fox trotify one. If you prefer to get your podcast the old-fashioned way, which is directly from the source, you may find that at helponthewaypod.podbean.com. You may also email us at helponthewaypod at gmail.com. You may communicate with us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Grateful Dead. And I'm going to plug the old Twitch channel because I think I'm going to bring it back. Uh, Twitch.tv slash, slash the GD channel. Um, that is it for me for this episode. Any p- final parting words from Fig, Knob, or Zach? Uh, I was going to try and do an impression of the the, prob- the primal Bobby scream, but I, I, uh, I have neighbors. And your microphone, we keep going back to this, your microphone would not pick it up. It would just drop it and say, this was not meant to be picked up. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your yeah. ears don't need to hear this, but uh, just know that I yeah, wanted and to. Yeah, and also that. Uh, and I will echo and say, Zach, thanks so much. This was excellent. Yeah, thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun. All righty, everybody. Please stick around. Listen to the entire show of April 15th, 1970, the Winterland Arena, San Francisco, California. And thank you for listening to the Help on the Way podcast.
First thing I remember knowing was a lonesome whistle blowing and a youngin's dream of growing up to ride on a freight train leaving town, not knowing where I spell. No one could change my mind, but the mama tried. One and only rebel child from a family meek and mild. Mama seemed to know what lay in store. But all my Sunday learning, toward the bad I kept on turning. The mama couldn't hold me anymore. And I turned 21 in prison, doing life without parole. No one could steer me right, but Mama tried, Mama tried, Mama tried to raise me better, but her pleading I denied. That leaves only me to blame, cause Mama tried. Dear old daddy, rest his soul, left my mom a heavy load. Tried so very hard to fill his shoes Working hours without rest Wanted me to have the best She tried to raise me right, but I refused And I turned 21 in prison Doing life without parole No one could steer me right But Mama tried, Mama tried Mama tried to raise me better But her pleading I denied but it's only me to blame the small child. When I turned 21 in prison, doing life without parole. Mama tried, Mama tried, Mama tried to raise me better, but her bleeding I denied. That leaves only me to blame, cause Mama tried. That leaves only me to blame, cause Mama tried.
take us out of the dark Man made a boat for the water Like Noah made the ark And this is a main, main, main world That I wouldn't be nothing Oh no, not one little thing Without a woman or a girl Think about a little baby girl and a baby boy. Man makes them happy, cause man makes them joy. And after man has done everything, everything he can, man makes money to buy from other men.
to carry us over the road. Man, make the change to take the heavy load. Man, make the electric light to bring us out of the dark. Make the boat for the water. The candy man's in tune. Come on, boys and camels, roll those laughing bones. Seven coming here, eleven boys, I'll take your money home. Look out, look out, the candy man. Here he comes and he's gone. Trust you're doing well. If I had me a shotgun, I'd throw you straight to hell. Look out, look out, the candy man. Here he comes, and he's 
If you've got a dollar Slaying on the line Hand me my old guitar Pass the whiskey round Won't you tell everybody you meet That the candy man's in town Look out the God, the candy man There he come and he's gone again Well, lady, me got no fan to the candy man comes round again Look out the God, the candy man There he come and he's gone again
Invite a poor man, make a five dollar bill Keep him happy all the time Some of the fellas making nothing at all And you can hear him cry Can I go, buddy? Can I go now? Take the ship down the mine
Irish lady come to me, she lays on me this road. The rainbow's fire around and round, I tremble the next blow. You left the smoking greener on my mind, I like to blown away. But the heat come round and buffet me for smiling on a cloudy day. Coming around, coming around, coming around, coming around, coming around, coming
Sweeping through the little fields I came across an empty space He trembled and exploded With a bus stop in his place The bus go by and I got on That's when it all began The bus got on at the wheel The bus too never ever left Coming around, coming around, coming around, coming around, coming around, coming around. When the day with rainbow colors landed, it's 
in the timbers up in Mario, wolves are running round. The winter was so hot and cold, froze ten feet beneath the ground. Don't murder me, I beg of you, don't murder me. Supper was a bottle of red whiskey. I said my prayers and then to bed. That's the last they saw of me. Don't murder me. Well, I beg of you, don't murder me. Please don't murder me. When I the dire wolf, 600 pounds of sin Was grinning at my window All I said was, come on in Don't murder me I beg of you, don't murder me Got my cards, sat down for a game. I cut my deck to the Queen of Spades, but the cards were all the same. Don't murder me. I beg of you, don't murder me. Please don't murder me.
for a brand new beat. Spring is here, the time is right for dancing in the street. They're dancing in Chicago. York City, all we need is music, sweet music, there'll be music everywhere, there'll be laughing, singing, music swinging, dancing in the street, doesn't matter what you wear, long as you are there, come on and Every guy, grab a girl in every well. Around the west, they're dancing, dancing in the street. This is an invitation across the nation, a chance for folks to meet. They'll be swinging, swearing, music playing, dancing. Philadelphia, PA, Baltimore, and this city now. Great forget the morning city. All we need is music, sweet music. There'll be music everywhere. There'll be laughing, singing, music swinging, dancing in the streets. Doesn't matter what you wear, long as you are there. Come on in every guy, grab a girl in everywhere. Around the world, they're dancing, dancing in the streets. Come on now, everybody get dancing.
that you will Long as you are there Come on, every guy Grab a girl in everywhere Everywhere
wait a minute. I'm gonna tell y'all, there's a taste, just a little bit, by my rider. I come, she make me feel so nice. I come, she make me feel so good sometimes. I ain't gonna tell y'all, I just tell you a little bit. I come, everything gets so good. Cause she got box back knitted, ain't thinking over that. Working on the cover with a ball. Yes, I 
sometime in the morning just before the day is dawning i just might get a little bit hungry ask my baby and the best time i said please the special thing you got special thing you got for me is what i need and i have to think that good and after things got better, one special thing I asked for. Yes, I did. I said, darling, baby, please let your light shine on me. Special thing that you got. Got to be good. Just got to get a little bit better. Begin to get good, it get just a little bit. And I asked my view, I said, please do that thing, make me feel so nice. Yes, I do. <clears throat> and she get on, she get on. Again, I turn that switch, a little old switch on. And it's that light. The sweet little light, let it shine upon me. Let it shine upon me. All I need, all I got to, just I got to, just I got to, just got to get some, my mind. Got to get some, feels so good. Just can't help, feels so nice. Just can't help it. Feel so nice, my my. Oh, my rider, yes it is. I said, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine upon me. All I need, my my, makes me feel so good. Cause that special thing is what I need. My, 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 my. Uh. Let it shine. 
Solani, Mirishan, Apomi, and it feels so good in the morning. Just about when the day is dawning, and I wake up, and that's what I want, and I stay up, and that's what I get. Makes me feel what's so nice. Make me feel yeah, what's so nice. To be real, you're gonna know just how I feel. You love the real, not fade away. Somewhere around my oh Lord. I know you got it somewhere, somewhere around here. You just got to get it. I said, please bring it out your pocket. I'm mine. It's all I need. 
bit of help. Need a little help. Oh, Bobby, got some help for me. All I need, let it shine.